I remember the conversation now. There was a conversation yeah. about a Starion or a Conquest on the Obscure Cars for Sale Facebook page. Yeah. And people were arguing about what was different about it being a Conquest or a Starion. And was, also JDM versus USDM. And it's not a JDM car. It's not a JDM car. It was built for American market. Therefore, it's a USDM car, which makes sense. And somebody was like, no, it's Japanese. So it's JDM. And I was like, no. And then I think somebody came up with the improper information that they were built in America, which they're not. So yeah. it was just a, it, a, a dumpster fire is a good word for it, Andrew. You put that. You that said it's that a before. DSM. That is a DSM, which is not. Which is also not a DSM. Correct. And then there was a big argument about how much better the ones were overseas because they had a 4G 6.3, um, which some of them did. But what they didn't want to believe was that they were single cam 4G 6.3s and that they also sold G54B cars overseas. And somebody's like, well, that was only for the GSR VR. And I was like, yeah, well, that was for the last two years of production. A high number of them had the 2.6. And then there was some other argument about somebody was like, oh, it's got a 4G uh, 6.4. It's like, no, it's a G54B, which is a 4G whatever. It was just a whole thing. And I was just, I was over it. So I, I put down correct information and I walked away. It was the... The automotive form equivalent of the bad guy in the movie blowing the building up and slowly walking away. That's all I did. I was just like, I don't even. What happened? I don't even argue with people about stuff anymore. That's why I didn't argue. I just I put down correct information and I exited stage right because they don't want to believe me. That's fine. The other funny thing is that you can, someone inevitably on one of these for sale things, like. There will always be like a Craigslist ad or Facebook post. Somebody will post a, a Conquest or a Starion, and someone will always make a comment that it's the same exact as one car or the other. Mm-hmm. And then the next person will say, no, they're not. They're different. Right. And then it devolves from that. Like literally that happens on every single time a Starion or Conquest is posted for sale on Facebook. Well, <clears throat> if you really want to confuse them, then you bring up the fact that there was a Chrysler Conquest, a Dodge Conquest, and a Plymouth Conquest. Yeah, there was one uh, posted for sale the other day, a Plymouth Conquest. I didn't read the thread, right. but I assume that somebody said that this is the same as a Starion, and then somebody else said, no, it's not. It's a Plymouth. Well, we'll put everything to rest right now. They're not front-wheel drive. They're not Dodge Daytonas. They're not DSMs. The only difference between a Conquest and a Starion is trim and not even trim levels, like minor trim. Like a Starion got a black center section in the rear bumper and a black front grille and different taillights, whereas a Conquest got a body color rear bumper section, a body color grille, and different taillights. And that is quite literally the only difference in the two cars. They are almost the definition of a badge job. Because they, are, they, they are the definition of a badge job. That's what they but are. But like... Like the most pure definition of a badge job, I guess, because they didn't change. They hardly changed anything. Right. Other than the badges. Yeah. And by badges, we're talking about stickers pretty much because they weren't even like yeah. emblems, really. It was just yeah. they're, they're the same car. I don't care what emblem it has on it. The only thing it tells you what it is, is the VIN number that they assigned to that particular vehicle. And are they USDM or JDM? Yeah, they're American market cars made in Japan. They're all made in Japan. They're all made by Mitsubishi. That's the other thing people say 
all the time on these cars is, what a great car if only they didn't put a Chrysler engine in it. Yeah. Well, they didn't, so you're wrong already. But whatever, it's easy to be pedantic when you know all about them, but it's aggravating to be pedantic about it and then have people just tell you that you're wrong when, I mean, I've owned five of these stupid things. I currently own one and a half. Yep. You do. I know a thing um, or two about a thing or two. You do. Well, this is episode 180 of Auto Off Topic. I'm getting up there, man. Welcome to the show, Brad. Thanks for welcoming me, Andrew. We've already been talking for like 10 minutes. I wasn't That's ready right. to record. I'm actually eating a snack. I hope it doesn't transfer through too loudly. That's all right. One of the other episodes, I forgot to change chairs. I have a very noisy office chair, but it's a more comfortable chair that I normally use. So I, I had to cut out all these little squeaks from my chair. Oh, well, the good news I, is my snack is gone. So the rest tonight of the, I'm yeah. sitting in the quiet chair. I do have a night shift night fever, though, to try to stay awake. Sort of. And I have a Kroger seltzer water. Well, I've got a polar sitting next to me. Don't you wish you were me? I mean, you're living in Massachusetts and it's not summertime, so no. But I do have a Kroger seltzer water, which actually, this is my favorite of the store brands that I found out here. It is not a polar. That is by far the truth. But it's it's acceptable. I'll drink it. I was definitely being a a seltzer snob because uh, at a place I was doing some work, they had free bubblies, but I'm like, mm, I don't really want a bubbly. Why can't we get polars? Right. So you bought a drink even though there were free options. I brought my own. I brought oh, my okay. own one liter seltzer. That's and a, made that's sure a, to crack it loud enough so that everybody could hear it. That's a very um like power like very good power move. Like oh this beer this bar only serves Bud Light. I'll bring my own night shift. Oh, this yeah. place only serves bubbly seltzer water? No, I hate my polar. So anyway, what are we talking about tonight, Andrew? We asked a question on Instagram, and I'll let you read it. Are you ready to, to grab it? Because you posted it, so I, I did let you read it. it. I'll, I, will even, I won't read it like I posted it with the one run-on sentence, I promise. So I forgot to hit the space bar at one point. All right, yeah, listener question time. Yeah, exactly. Listener answer time, actually. Well, it was listener question time because we were asking the listeners a question. So it's a question for the listeners. Does that work? Sure. All right, listener answer time. This time, we're asking you the questions. See, that's what. See, now it doesn't make any sense. I should have said it the other way first because the next sentence qualifies the first sentence. So let me start over. Listener question time. This time, we're asking you the questions. Answer one or both, and we'll discuss in the next episode. Well, this is the next episode, so here we go. Question one, an acceptable level of disrepair. What level of disrepair are you okay with, and what pushes you to the point of just living with it? That's question one. And question two is, when is hackery okay, and to what level? Roadkill-style hood removal and zip-tied radiators? License plates used to patch rust holes? Or worse, or much worse, looking forward to the responses. So we got quite a bit of responses, actually, to this question. Um, I know you don't watch Roadkill, so you're probably not familiar that much with those particular 
uh, understand how it works. Yeah, they generally overheat cars and they wind up mounting radiators in weird places with zip ties or moving hoods and ratchets trapping them to the roof. So, well, it should explain. So, my definition of acceptable level of disrepair is what is your level of living with stuff? So, if no disrepair would be a brand new car, okay, lots of disrepair would be like an older car. That has a lot of issues, but you just so don't care. We can define this very. Driving. We can define this very easily. No disrepair is a brand new car that's Andrew and his Volkswagen. Yeah. Full disrepair is a car that still drives but barely. That's Brad and his Starion. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, that would, that's a good explanation. So, yeah. I'm generally somewhere towards the left side of that scale. If we're starting, if it's a sliding scale, I was actually going to draw it out. I'll have to come up with a. a a way to draw it out but if we're if i'm on that side like if the middle is like a rolling project car that you're fixing up as you go and then the left side is like a brand new car and then the right side is a car that just runs and is ugly okay right i don't i don't define sense. hacky hackery or disrepair as ugly though it can be ugly if you're not caring about how the car looks. Oh, it can be ugly, but I think it's more about the mechanical aspects or the safety yeah. features. There is a uh, you know a definition for hackery, right? So a lot of people think of, and we'll get to this with one of the answers, but like computer hacking is what you think of when you hear hackery okay. or hacking. And it's the practice of modifying or altering, altering computer software and hardware to accomplish a goal that is considered to be outside of the creator's original objective. So that would be, to me, that is like car modifying. Um, oh, and that definition came from cyber.law.com. Uh, but the traditional definition of hackery is a writer or journalist producing dull, unoriginal work. So this is a hack podcast, right? Right. So, um <laughs> That was a hack joke, that's for sure. It sure was. But I think I actually kind of forgot about this term. Probably what we're more thinking of is a kludge or a kludge. Okay, I think it's kludge. You can say it either way, a okay. kludge or a kludge. It's spelled either way when I looked it up. Uh, a kludge or a kludge is a workaround for or quick and dirty solution that is clumsy, inelegant, inefficient, difficult to extend, and hard to maintain. Uh, and it's this term is used in div- diverse fields such as computer science, aerospace engineering, internet slang, evolutionary neuroscience, and government. Well, I from have no problem adapting that phrase to a lot of those things, but I would rather not adapt that phrase to aerospace engineering or neuroscience. Well, I'm just gonna cludge around in your brain now. So, some people also define they're like, well, if it works, but it's ugly, but it works. Is it a kludge? Okay. So think that's about... Kind of, that's kind of if, if if the solution is dumb, but it works, is it really dumb? Exactly. Yeah. So think about... Uh, I don't, it's probably been a while. been a minute since you've seen Apollo 13, the movie. Uh, it's been about 15 years, 20 years when the movie came out. But, but do you remember the part where they're like, okay, they dump all this stuff on the table in front of the engineers that are back in the ground, and they're like, we have all this stuff. And this is the same exact things they have in the spacecraft. Make it work. And we need to extend their, how much air they have left. Like right. we need to fix the scrubbers. So they have like duct tape and tubes 
Like they had a, it was something funny because they had like a square filter and a round hole for the two different systems. Right. And they had to adapt that to that. So like, you know, is that a dumb repair or a smart repair? Right. Well, it saved lives. So we'll call it a smart repair, but that would be considered kludge. So that's your, that's your aerospace kludge. All right. I like it. So at, at that point, it's the get this thing back to the ground safely with everybody on it in whatever manner possible. Yeah. All right. I dig it then. I dig it then. I still don't like it in neuroscience, but that's okay. I'll have to come yeah, up I don't know. I don't know where we'd be using evolutionary neuroscience. Yeah. <laughs> we think people came from monkeys, but they might have been a fish involved. <laughs> Let's make it work. <laughs> All right. So, so what's we, our first answer? We go with uh, first uh, answers to our questions here. All right. Uh, and it's just so everybody knows, I'll make this quite clear. Uh, the photos of both kludged vehicles are mine. So I was trying to find a picture of something we did on one of Andrew's cars at any point in the 20 some odd years that we've been wrenching on cars together. Uh, and I could not think of a solution or a day where we didn't fix Andrew's car the correct way. It's usually my car. That is hacked together in many ways possible. I probably did a couple early things very early on when I was very young, but I typically did not do right. stuff. Well, I'm trying not to. So first response was from Dexter VW. Uh, he says that it all depends on the car. Tater turd, which I'm not sure. I think it's one of his vehicles. Must be. I think it must be a... Toyota because he has the TRD in turd capitalized. Whatever gets it around the track. The Mini Rover or the Daily? So he has, I know for a fact he has a first original like 60s Mini Cooper and a a Range Rover that he uses for overlanding and a daily car. He says, nope, got to do it once and do it right. So he's saying that uh, acceptable level of disrepair matters less to him depending on what the vehicle is which I guess makes sense I have a brand or not a brand new car but a newer car I wouldn't want to fix it with zip ties or get a hole in it somehow and snap a license plate over it that doesn't make any sense right no right so but I didn't have a problem doing it to the Starion because the Starion's life is going to be drive until it gets out here at some point and swap over all the good parts to a good shell because the shell is pretty much garbage. So I, I, I get that. That makes sense. Um, it's definitely a theme we had amongst our answers was the, um, it depends on the vehicle, depends on the situation. It depends on the, is it a get it done today or a get it done to go home or a get it done correctly and doesn't matter how long it takes. So yeah, that was definitely like a the, theme that came along. It's like the Mirage the rally mirage i got side swiped and it dented the fender so uh you know i got i managed to get the guy's information and he was at fault so i collected the monies and banged out the fender and put right. it back on and he put a camouflage sticker over it so that it didn't obviously show the dent yeah which worked surprisingly I well <laughs> i literally camouflaged it yes uh toasty fab Cosmetics can be shit, but everything else must be mechanically solid and well-maintained. Also, I hate leaks. So Toasty Fab drives Monteros. 
So I'm assuming he knows the thing or two about leaks because all old Mitsubishi's leak. Um, but his obviously all are, yours do. All do. Yours must leak somewhere. <laughs> do they not leak at all? Um, no, it's very, 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 very hard to find leaks on them. Oh. I I fix the leaks right away. They it's have very hard, to, but I always it's very hard. Them. It's very hard to find leaks on mine too because there's so much oil under there. You can't tell where it's coming from. <laughs> yeah. So. But he's he's correct too. Uh, he's actually quite a good wrench on Monteros and other things as well. But he built some neat Monteros, so I definitely listen to him. But I know he doesn't care about cosmetics because his vehicles get bashed up in the woods, which is why he cares more about um, mechanicals because he wants to get back to base camp from wherever they were wheeling that day. So uh, Alex Draffen really takes it down to its simplest thing with a function over form. And uh, I think that that goes back to the original hot rodders back in the day. The, the cars that the, the rat rods of today supposedly emulate, even if the rat rod itself has become a form. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, back in its its infancy, hot rodding was more a uh, make it as fast as possible, as light as possible. It doesn't matter what it looks like. If it happens to look cool because of those methods, then that's just a side effect of it being fast. So that to be fast and ugly is cooler than being slow and beautiful was kind of the, the original thing. And the original Hot Rodders always had the phrase, you know, chrome don't get you home. It doesn't matter how fancy it is, how shiny it is, as long as it's fast and as long as you make it home at the end of the day. So that's really what we come down to when it comes down to the appearance of things. Um, not so much the kludge or hack versus proper repair, but uh, on the same, I guess plane of thought all right throttle by cable i want my cars to work rust is unacceptable sorry man that's coming from new england that's we can't have that phrase smoke is unacceptable that i'm gonna go that i'm okay with peeling clear coat is unacceptable well now i'm arizona it's also a thing but hazed and dirty not that concerned as long as it still looks like it should i'm okay I haven't watched my all track in a year and a half. So should we shame him for that? Hey, if you don't want to wash your car, it's fine. I don't know. You should at least wash it every couple of months. Let's get the brake dust off the wheels. It rains, right? Is that what people say? I don't know. Speaking as a used car buyer, I appreciate it when the car that I buy has not brake dust kicked into the wheels because I do like to go through my cars. So maybe you should wash it. If not, if not for yourself, then it's the next owner. Well, then that's the whole argument. Why are you keeping it nice for the next guy? Because <laughs> I'm the next guy. I'm not, buying, I'm not buying his car, but I buy used cars, and I like to keep them clean. So it helps to have a clean car to start with. So, uh, next question, next answer. It's funny to say answer. My car is always in some level of disassembly as I'm driving it mid project. So I guess I find that acceptable. This is Fuge Rob. He's a local out here in Phoenix. As long as the car is safe, I'll tolerate some disrepair for going to and from work. But if I'm going to go off-road, it has to be mechanically sound before that. And then he has a second part of his question. Again, that's kind of the same level with uh, Toasty Fab because he does a lot of off-roading, and obviously he wants his vehicle to come back and not be stranded out in the desert or the woods somewhere. Because nothing is more expensive than an off-road recovery. 
So if your vehicle breaks and you're not on normal paved accessible roads, um, the recovery costs go up exponentially. So it's pretty important that if you're going to be going off road to have a vehicle that is sound. Uh, it's the main reason probably that my Raider never did many off-road trips because it never really ran long enough, um, which the Raider is the cylinder head picture in the top of this question that we asked with the cracked valve, <clears throat> which was, I think, the second cylinder head. I don't. I was just thinking I don't remember which cylinder head. I believe three went on that truck. Three were on the truck, and the third one's on it now that is currently broken. Something is wrong with the, the ring. Yeah, I think the rings finally gave out. Something is wrong with the bottom end of that engine, um, and it ate through cylinder heads. So we'll never figure that out because we never got to fix that. So it is what it is. All I right. think it was overheated so many times it just actually warped the block, too. It only overheated once. It, it overheated? Know. Okay. That, that vehicle is... A perfect example of kludge. It overheated once in your possession. So I bought that truck. Um, almost famously from a junkyard. For like 400 bucks. It did not run. If you remember, we had switched the ignition cables to the proper positions. And the truck fired right up but made noise. Pulled the valve cover off. It had a broken rocker arm. So rather than decide, hey, let's tear into this. Let's find out why it has a broken rocker arm. We'll just put a new rocker arm on it. That to me is a definition of a clutch, is it not? Yeah. And this is uh, people who watch too much roadkill. I think this predated roadkill. <laughs> or at least heavy watching of it. But no, I, I disagree. I I understand what the roadkill thing is. I also understand that at the time, I was excited to have bought this $400 truck and have put $23 worth of parts into it and have a running functional truck. So the truck ran and functioned well for probably six months. It ran for quite a bit. Um, and then all of a sudden, we broke another rocker arm. And we said, hmm, that's weird. I guess we should put more rocker arms on it. I think even before you even got through three heads, it broke three or four rocker arms. Right. Meaning obviously something was bent or out of time somehow, um, even though we properly set it up and properly timed it every time. So regardless, moving on, radiator explodes somewhat a cause of kludgery because somebody had, Previous owner to myself had replaced the radiator with a plastic tanked radiator, not the, you know, brass tank that it would have come with from the factory. Yeah, and still the car, the truck overheated at some point before. Yeah, you're probably right. Um, and because I was okay with everything just working the way it worked, I never put a sending unit in for the temperature gauge. So it had a bad radiator, a possibly warped head, and no temperature gauge. So that was definitely me being broken lazy. I should have spent the $15 for a sending unit. You, sir, are a hack. <sighs> I'm trying not to be. <laughs> there have been a lot of changes in life that are making me do things the right way now. 
So I put a radiator in it. The truck fired up. Everything seemed fine. That lasted about, I don't know, two weeks. Then the truck started overheating again, probably because we warped the head. That's when we put a new head on it. But instead of doing anything to the bottom end of the engine or checking anything, we just slapped a new head on the old bottom end. Another level of clutch. Drove the truck again. Everything seemed fine until something went wrong with the carburetor. And it started either dumping too much fuel or not enough fuel or who knows what was going on, but it was dumping fuel into the cat and the cat burned up and got clogged. And then you would drive the vehicle and the exhaust manifold would glow super hot red in the two middle cylinders. Probably not good for the rings or the head again. Um, then to the point where everything was working fine. And then one day it just started smoking. So we have that smoke issue that Rob was talking about, which is unacceptable. Um, and it smokes to the level of like a James Bond smoke screen now. So it's not drivable at all. So it is for sale. If somebody wants to figure out how to fix it. Yeah. There are no mosquitoes around, but yeah, no mosquitoes. So we don't even need it out here in Arizona. What is barely any mosquitoes anyway. So next, uh, Rob feud, our feud, Rob answer. It's question number two. All modifications are hacker compared to the level of engineering and testing that goes into OEM parts. Once it's not a bolt-in, but a true modification, then it's real hackery. Some people are just better at hackery than others. It's a gray area. Don't run wires or hoses around sharp edges. Don't make your car unsafe for other people or your passengers. Other than that, carry on. So he kind of goes into the second definition of what you talked about with the computer hacking being making a computer program designed to run in a different way from what its original intention was. Anytime you're modifying a car, you're hacking that car. So I've never heard the definition used that way. The only time I've ever heard the word hacking in the automotive world is watching a scary news story about how the man can control your car from far away now because of computers. Well, yeah, that's the media corruption of the term hacker. hacking. So yeah. it really is just a fancier term for, or a different term for modifying, right? Yeah, I guess it is. I would never, I've just never heard of it said that way. So, and I've only ever heard of it from the traditional, you know, you're a hack mechanic. You just make things work the best you can. You know, I had a, a, an old neighbor who, uh, his nickname was Hacka because he worked in the body industry and, uh, he would fix panels that, most people would throw in the trash because they should have been thrown in the trash, <laughs> but he would just bang them out, knock them out and make them look half decent and earned himself the nickname hacker because he didn't do it the way everybody else would. He did it the way he wanted to do it. At the end of the day, they looked fine, but it wasn't considered well, a proper repair. That's like, you know, today, you know, say like your grandfather was really into woodworking and he built a lot of stuff. You'd be like, oh, my grandfather was a woodworker. But today, we call people like that makers, right? It's just mm. same thing, different term. I guess. Yeah, that's what the, they they call these people makers. Like it's a maker space. And then you look at the stuff and you're like, okay, so people are doing woodworking and they're making quilts and they're like welding stuff into art. Like, yeah, that's just... Like that would be just DUI or artist type stuff. 
okay. back in the day, but now instead it's just called makers instead. Just yeah, that's kind of a term. umbrella term for everybody that works with their hands. Yeah, is that, yeah, it's like is, hobby is that because, yeah, is that because it's less of a commonality now? You know, you, you say my grandfather working with wood, but my grandfather did. He was a woodworker. He did build houses and furniture and all that stuff. Oh, but I meant like as a, like a hobbyist. But that's what he that's what he was. He was a hobbyist. Oh, OK. Yeah. yeah. He so he was a hobbyist. he'd be a woodworker. Right. But like now, a lot of times these people are called makers. Like it's a it's just a fancier term for it. Well, do you think it's a fancier term or it's just because there's less people that have a creative hobby like that than it used to be? Like creating no, furniture out of wood was an, a, a normal thing that average people did back then before you just go to Walmart and buy it for 20 bucks. No, I think a lot of people are getting back to that. A lot of people uh, are finding that their their day-to-day jobs aren't very fulfilling and they like to work with their hands. So ending up with all these makers and this is a whole other thing where, you know, like that's where Etsy comes from and and all these shows about like building things and like you ever see like Nick Offerman's like wood shops type stuff and Yeah, of course. Just the whole like DIY house stuff that like exploded, you know, after this old house and stuff like that. Okay, I'm just what I'm saying is it's become more trendy to do that versus necessity. So that's why there's a blanket name for it. Oh yeah, it's definitely not out of necessity. It's people do it because it's a fun hobby. Right, it's a fun hobby, and it's neat to be creative, and it's neat to be able to show somebody it's something the need. your own two hands. Yeah, it's it's why we don't just buy brand new cars and take them to the dealership like we enjoy working on old cars because that's our our version of being a maker, even though we're not making we're maintaining. But I guess you can yeah. consider us some sort of a, a maker. But I've, I've heard the term maker used for everything from, like you said, an artist who paints a picture to somebody who brews their own beer. They're makers. Exactly. So, create, creating something where there was nothing before. I guess it's the opposite of consumers, right? A maker versus a consumer. So, okay, yeah, that's what I was trying to simplify it down to something that was less um, obtuse, something that was more had like a definition. But that that works. I like that. All right, moving on. Next answer comes from Shovel Eyes. These days, any level of disrepair makes me crazy. In particular, anything that isn't even difficult or costly. Just effing fix it or delete it. Leaks and dirty parts have always infuriated me. I keep forgetting to hold my phone screen so it doesn't turn off. Leaks and dirty parts have always infuriated me because working on a dirty machine is vastly more unpleasant than a clean one, and the act of cleaning it is not difficult. Diagnosis on a clean machine is easier too, if leaks can't hide in the GAC. So that's true. Um, We come from New England. (laughs) Oh, how it is. Yes. We come from New England, where all of our cars seem to be routinely covered in um, junk, grease, rust, salt, water, you name it, it's on the car. Um, in the past few years, both of us, I think, have made vast improvements with keeping cars underneath better than we used to. Um, working in cleaner spaces, I think we definitely have. You know, I installed the transmission in the Sapporo and um, I made sure that it was practically brand new looking before it went in. That way, once it was in the car, if we had an issue, we could find out what that issue was pretty quickly without having to wonder where the leaks came from. Um, I find I take great pleasure myself in cleaning parts and making things look brand new. 
I think it's sometimes even more satisfying to make an individual part look brand new than to complete the whole project. I mean, all, all my stuff's been clean since I put the town back together. <laughs> all right. Well, you and I are different people, so <laughs> I have I have come more to this. Like, I would rather spend extra time cleaning and painting the old parts to look new before installing them in the car than I used to. Yes. It's why we use a sandblast cabinet. It's why we buy spray paint. It's why we clean things. I like them to be clean. I, I don't like them to not be used, like so clean you can't use them, but I like it to be neat and mostly grease-free when working on it. So that becomes a problem in New England because you literally spray oil on the bottom of your car to keep it from rusting. <laughs> but that's a whole other story too. You want to move on to the Facebook questions, Andrew? I haven't pulled those up yet. I got them. All right. All right. Whoops. Frank Eck. Depends on the amount of time. Crush an exhaust pipe on a rock, cut the part out, used a soda can wrapped in duct tape to get through the weekend. Have zip tied a bicycle inner tube around a CV joint to hold grease in. Better. Uh, better. Still seeped, but kept the water from pushing out pretty much. So, yeah. Those are... Uh, if you, If you're out on the trail... Like, totally acceptable repairs. Yeah. Like, quite smart repairs, actually. I think one of the questions comes, so now you have a soda can wrapped around your exhaust. Right. Is it acceptable to just leave that because it works? Uh, I th- Eventually, soda cans are pretty thin aluminum. Yeah. And probably depending on where it is in the exhaust, it might uh, burn through eventually. But is it something that you need to fix right away, or are you okay, Andrew, with using that part until it burns through? Oh no, 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 no! I'd uh, I'd fix it pretty quickly. Okay, so it's, if, it's literally a temporary thing just to get you home. So if I put a soda can around my exhaust, would you be upset if I continued to drive with that soda can until it blew through? I'd make fun of you profusely. Yeah. So nothing would change, is what you're saying. Right. Okay. So I've never done that particular fix. I did once uh, ratchet strap the exhaust to the bottom of the car by wrapping the ratchet strap all the way around the top of the car. Yeah. If you remember in the uh, Audi 4000, that was a uh, a fix to get me home very similarly. I happened to have ratchet straps in the back for I don't know what reason, but they were there. And the exhaust fell off of the from the front. So it was like pointing down at the ground as I was driving forward, and that would be an issue, obviously. Yeah. So I managed to ratchet strap it up around the car. So, And thankfully, there was no exhaust going through it because it wasn't connected, so it stayed nice and cool. It didn't melt the ratchet strap. So similar issue. We were driving Stephanie's old Outback, and right near our house here is a set of train tracks, like, over a little hill. And we hit those, and the exhaust broke. Uh, If you're familiar with these old Outbacks, where the mid pipe goes to the muffler, there's a rust, there's a uh, three bolt flange, and those like to rot out, and it broke like right there. So all of a sudden it's like ding 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 ding. ding. I'm like, Ugh. and we're like half mile from the house. I'm like, oh, I don't want to drive down the street and just drag it. So we just happen to have some uh, bungee cords, and I just looped it around and bungeed it. Yeah. And then we went to our house in sweet, like two minutes. Well, at least you were two yeah. minutes from home. When mine broke, yeah. it was the distance between uh, Lowell, Massachusetts, and Salem, Massachusetts, which is a solid yeah. hour with traffic. But anyway, 
Uh, next next answer comes from Ryan Ritzma. Annoying noises, exhaust fumes in the cabin. I can only live with for a short time until repair. Literally, like if you have exhaust fumes in your car, you can only live for a short time. Um, however, I lived without power steering for a while with the Golf. Okay, that's an annoyance, but I I get living with that. How long did I not have power steering in my Cressida? I didn't know that car didn't have power steering. No, it was like two years of no power steering. I didn't know that. Don't you remember? I knew the battery. I knew the battery was loose forever. You'd just be turning and like hit a bump, and the car would shut off. And then restart because the battery was loose, like you didn't have it tied down, or the cables were loose, or something stupid that was easy to fix. Yeah, I'll never do that again either. Um, <laughs> You're like, yeah, oh, it's no big deal. It'll just start right back up. I'm like, okay. So, I learned my lesson with that car because remember, I have now changed the ends and tied down the battery in the blue Colt. Yeah, it's very nice now in there. It works very well. Yeah. Um, I'll never do that again because you're right. That is a simple fix. And for some reason, I never thought about it until it happened and I forgot about it again. So anyway, I didn't have power steering in that car for a long time. Um, and if you don't, I don't think, I don't know if you were there when I bought the rebuild kit for the power steering pump. Oh, that Cressida. I'm th- I was thinking of the other Cressida. <laughs> the, oh, no, 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 no. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, no, no. The 85 Cressida. See, okay. Yeah, that, yeah. that was like 15, almost 20 years ago. So I'm okay with the battery issue in that. Cause that was long enough ago. That it's not embarrassing. The 79 <laughs> Cressida didn't have battery issue. I've, I've learned since oh, the 85. Yeah. Cressida. Yes. Well, if, if our, our listeners don't know the 85 Cressida, cause that way predates the podcast. Yeah. That, that was possibly the biggest piece of garbage I've ever owned. Oh yeah. Speaking of things that are not acceptable repairs, uh, spray foam in a car right. rot. That car had a ton of it. Full disclosure. Do it. Full disclosure. I didn't do that. No. Same thing with my 89 Montero. It had it in the rocker panels. I didn't do that either. Right. So the previous owner of my car, um, who actually gave the car to me, uh, didn't really care that much about it. And his ploy was just to get a inspection sticker. So in Massachusetts, if you have visible rust holes, you cannot get a sticker. So his thought was to fill the rust holes with expanding foam and then kind of put some green paint on it and hope for the best. Well, it worked to get an inspection sticker, but it also works to trap moisture, salt, and dirt inside the panels, therefore creating them, creating the rust spots to accelerate much faster than they would have if you just left them alone. So that car was literally getting lighter every day that I drove it because it was deteriorating on every drive. Um, it was garbage. That's why I never tied the battery down. I think at one point there was a ratchet strap around that battery. Um, I did buy that car. Actually, let me rephrase. That car was given to me, and I did drive it without ever doing any kind of safety test, which I also don't recommend anymore, especially when dealing with old junk cars. Because I remember the first weekend I had that car, I drove it from Massachusetts to Connecticut to watch other people do rallycross. Um, and I remember bringing it home and then like a day or two later, jacking it up to check the front end and the control arm literally fell out of the bottom of the knuckle because the ball joint was trash. It was, it was being held in literally by the weight of the car on top of the ball joint. 
So I mean, I'm not going to call you out, but I'm going to call you out. This was your MO for a lot of years. So yeah. Well, it's not anymore. I didn't You've have been I didn't have the facilities that you had access to, Andrew. And I always had garbage cars around, whereas you stuck to like one good car and one garbage car. Well, like we've talked about before, instead of fixing this car, it probably broke and you bought another car, I'm sure. I don't know your timeline anymore. Probably. Let me try to think. Uh, definitely. Wait, my car is broken and it would be only this little thing to fix it? Wait a minute. Hold on. I bought another car. Correct. So I don't do that anymore either. I do try to keep cars um, in a state of repair. We're going through them, as we talked about before, getting my broken fleet fixed and back on the road and either moved on and sold or shipped across country. So things are looking up. Car life is good. I currently have three vehicles here in Arizona that I can go to, turn the key, and use without much of a second thought. So that's pretty good. What was their next answer? I think Ryan had a little more going on here. Uh, Hackery is is okay, he says, except for safety, vehicle control items like brakes, tires, steering, or suspension. I've used Gorilla Tape to tape over a huge quarter panel hole. So, as again, the the covering the rust to get your inspection sticker move, probably. Um, But I agree, and that goes back to that that Cressida. I should have checked the ball joints before I ever drove the car because it was literally a free rusty car. So, not a rust-free car, but a free rusty car. Big difference in those two. Uh, all right, next one, Andrew. Uh, let's see here, because Jeremy not is the next one. one. Oh, see, they're different order on my phone. Oh, that's very strange. It is weird, right? Let's say Jose Antonio. I say as long as it gets you down the road safely, you're good to go. See, my man. Yeah. If I was ten years <laughs> younger than I am now, because I'm not quite as bad anymore. Uh, Jose also doesn't quite work that much kludge into his vehicles. They're in a pretty good state of repair. So we'll let it slide. Uh, Jeremy Nutt. Answer number one. My acceptable level of disrepair is solely based based on whether or not I can pass a yearly safety inspection or not. My cars are always a work in progress. And when they get too nice, I usually sell them. Jeremy, you are not a hack. I've seen your work. I own your work. The gallant he sold to me, which has amazing bodywork in that firewall. So I wouldn't call that a hack. Um, I don't know his ratty muscle car as well that he's doing right now, that Pontiac Le Mans, which is... All right, I rephrase this. Maybe he is a hack. That car's pretty bad. Uh, he does all the right mechanical stuff to it. It's just right. an ugly car. Yeah, it's got a lot of Bondo on it. Well, maybe beauty is in the eye of the beholder, but... Yeah. Well, that's true. I do love it's, my Starion. It fits the roadkill aesthetic. It definitely does. Uh, hackery is always acceptable short-term. If the car is being thrown together to drive and have fun, hackery is okay. If it's being hacked together for flipping into the next guy, it is not okay. Okay, well, that's the definition of the Starion. The car is being put together to enjoy until I get to drive it out here and transfer over all the good engine and interior into a West Coast shell with a sun-beaten interior. So that's the exact definition of what's happening to that car. So I agree. And that's probably more what he's doing with the Ratty Le is he's just hacking it together to enjoy it and have a good time. So 
I'll go with it. Who's the next one on your list here? Do John Rimmer. All right. Question number one. Run it until you almost die coming home late at night on a dark country road in the freezing cold or until your wife looks at you, your accumulating pile of repairs and asks, what are, you, what are we waiting for here? Christmas? Uh, nowadays, if it needs to be done, just do it before it turns into a full day of work. Uh, it's rare to see those free days anymore with kids, but it's much easier to fit in 15 minute repair here or an hour there if it's one thing at a time. See, this is the way I do it. Yep. Uh, if it doesn't need to be done, cosmetic thing, unnecessary driving feature, then it's much wider tolerance. True. An example is van that hasn't had functional cruise control for forever. And uh, he says, I don't care because I never use it anyways. I don't plan to fix it. So my Sapporo also has non-functioning cruise control. And I have no intention on fixing it because there's other projects that are clearly more important than that. So I understand that. Yep. But he's right, though. If it's, you might as well fix it. Well, it's not that bad before it spirals into other repairs. Yeah, absolutely. And then you have a bunch of dead cars sitting in your yard because you have no time to fix all of them. Hmm. We've uh, told this story before. I'm speaking from experience. I'll fully admit it. Uh, so, answer number two if it's safe and functional, okay by me. If it's your own stuff, if somebody's paying you for work, not so much. True. That's true. Uh, yeah. There should be a certain level of professionalism. I'm not a fan of half-assery. Half-assery. Half -assery. Shouldn't half-ass one thing, whole-ass it. <laughs> what yes. is that? We're on Swansonism. Uh, so wherever hackery overlaps, a half-ass job, I'm not a fan. And wouldn't let myself get away with it for long before having to fix it. Uh, better. I don't think the two are necessarily the same thing, though. Sometimes you got to get something done, and that isn't always pretty. That's a kludge, I guess, but the results is just as safe and as functional as a meticulous job. That's true. That's not cleaning yep. the part and not you know, making sure everything matches and looks nice, but it gets the car down the road and gets the job done and doesn't need to be fixed again in the future. That would be yep. welding in a section of metal on the side of the road near exhaust versus wrapping a can around it. So, uh, Dane Nutt. My vehicle has to pass inspection. Other than that, it has to have heat and a radio. Two, hackery is okay if it's working. Stop leaking my radiator has always been a lifesaver for me. I've had several cars that the doors would not open and therefore the windows have to. I do not trust tires or plugs in them, but I also live with it. So that's a list of things. Um, I've never used stop leak in a radiator. No, I'll run tires um, and plugs in them. Tires and plugs no I have no problem with. Um Stop the leaking good plates. The yeah, the safety seals. Yeah. Um, stop leaking a radiator to me scares me because if it plugs up a small hole in a radiator, my thought is that it's going to plug up important coolant passages or and or heater cores, which goes back to your answer to number one. You need to have heat in a radio, and if you plug up a heater core, you will no longer have heat. Yep. So I I don't trust stop leak. Radiators are one of the easiest things to replace in almost every vehicle. Um, and they're not terribly expensive, so I would not, I would not recommend using radiator stop leak. Um, I think this not, person needs an air cooled car. Yes, that solves it. Like two problems there. Yeah, Dane, we need to get you a Volkswagen, and we'll. Uh, well, they won't have heat. They'll have a shitty radio, but they won't well, use stop leak. You can you can address the heat and the radio with aftermarket. So, anyway, I uh, 
that, that's the kind of level of hackery I was looking for in our answers, though. So proud of Dane for telling us exactly how he feels and how he does it. No shame, no issues. Two more, Andrew. What do you got? Chris Bacon. I've riveted, blah, I've riveted license plates to my rusty Dodge for three inspection stickers now. Perfectly acceptable. Body work is hard. Body work is expensive. Old body license work, plates are hanging around. Body work just rusts away again if you already have rust holes. So yeah, license plates are aluminum. License plates don't rust away. Correct. However, the metal behind them gets worse and worse. Then you should add more and more license plates until eventually you're driving a Dodge van entirely comprised of license plates. But when that day comes, that's kind of a proud achievement. An entirely license plate vehicle. I'm down with it. Uh, Mike, uh, sorry, Miles Wenzel. Like others have said, hackery is fine as long as you aren't endangering lives. No lease springs held together with duct tape advice grips. Yeah, that's a bad idea. Um, no coil springs. Well, no coil springs that have spacers in them or are clamped together to make the car lower. It's also a bad thing, which I've seen in person with my own two eyes, and that is not good. That's very bad, actually. So, because those things will endanger other people on the road, and you don't want to do that. If it's going to kill anybody, as long as it's yourself, I'm less upset about it, but. There's other people on the road, which you have to think about. You don't want your car breaking and taking them out. So, I think you asked it right. in your page as well, did you not? I did. I've got one on my page. Right. Uh, Scott Carlson, way worse hackery is acceptable than using license plates to cover rust holes. Hood removal is a form of engine cooling. Zip tie everything that doesn't melt them. Hell yeah. <laughs> then there's bailing wire for the shit that gets hot enough to melt zip ties. Perfect. It's spoken this like is a true uh, rallyist. Yeah, this is a, a person who does rally. Not only is that person who does rally, it's a person who does rally in a Volkswagen. Um, yeah. And most Mark IIs and Mark Threes have structural zip ties in a lot of places. So he's just fully on brand, Scott. I dig it. Well, that's the other thing, too. With rallying, there's a whole, like, we get the car as nice as possible before the rally. And I don't mean, like, it's a show car. I mean, like, we put it together as best safe. we can. It's a safe car. It's safe. And so it will stay together and hopefully last. But then things happen to the rally. Things break. And then Liz goes out so, on the first event and slides sideways into a telephone pole. And we need to clue. a year ago. Yes. Well, I'm, I'm talking about that time over a year ago. And we're, we're just talking about rally kluges. And one of the initial rally kluges that we had was strapping the hatch of that car down to complete the rally, which she did like a champ. So, uh, yeah, then you just do stuff to get it done. Right. Or you have people tell you it's fine and then you just do it anyways. Well, that's an that important steering rack was definitely real loose in the last rally. That's an important part of the kludge um, is if you don't think it's acceptable, find enough people to tell you that you're wrong and it's OK to use it that way. And then you're fine. Oh, but this wasn't even a kludge. This was the steering rack was definitely loose, but there wasn't much to do about it, so we just told them to drive it. And they, and do they live? They did, did they live. finish the rally. If you tell someone something with enough confidence, right. it's fine. Absolutely, it's it's not about the actual result. It's about how good you feel about it. So, 
they they finished the rally. Steering rack is fine. Now it's fixed and everything's good. But yeah, rally is definitely if you start talking to rallyists about stories they've had in the past, uh, these kludges and these hacks come up real quick. Uh, a lot of this was inspired by um, a story that we're going to tell on the next podcast, uh, which is about driving to Radwood, Austin, uh, with our friend Ron, um, who had quite a few moments of kludgery and hackery on the side of the road to get his car home. So that story next episode. All right, cool. Anything else? I don't think so. All right. So thanks for all the answers. It's good having some uh, listener interaction. We appreciate it. Yeah, that was so, actually really good. A lot, of, a lot of comments today. Yep. So if you missed out on those, make sure you follow us on Facebook, Auto Off Topic Podcast, Auto Off Topic on Instagram, and you'll uh, set up uh, your alerts so that you get updates when we post stuff, because otherwise it gets buried, but you can go in and set those alerts so it shows up. Uh, and uh, you can follow me on Instagram, Race and Anger. And Brad, where can they find uh, TDI 454? Uh, I, I have I have screwed them all up. Wow, throwback on that one in the end. Uh, it was TSISS350. Also, right, don't forget cool. to follow us on YouTube as well. We don't have a ton of videos up, but we do have things there as well. Auto off topic on YouTube. I did do a very nice one on installing yellow Laminex on the Alltrack. You know, a nice brand new car modification. <laughs> Correct. Was it was it a kludge? Yeah. It was not. All right, not perfect. All. Um, there's upcoming events. Radwood March 21st, South Carolina at the Michelin headquarters. Radwood Philly, April 5th. Uh, we'll be there. Malaise Days, April 25th, the Automobile Drive Museum. That is in... Uh, Palm Springs, California. Palm Springs, California. Yep. Very mid-century town. Very cool yes. stuff in there. Yeah, it'd be very neat for the uh, for the event itself. Southern New Hampshire Cars and Coffee. The first event is April nineteenth, twenty twenty, at the Coffee Factory in Salem. Uh, we are helping sponsor that show this year, so please go check it out, and we'll keep you updated as the the event dates uh, come and go. But the first one so far is going to be April nineteenth. Anything else to plug, Brad? I think that's it for now. All right, cool. So as always, keep your cars analog and aim for the roses. Yeah.